Our scripture this morning on this Palm Sunday comes from Matthew chapter 21, the story of the triumphal entry. Starting in verse one of Matthew chapter 21. Now when they draw near to Jerusalem and came to Bethage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks, And he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. I said to you that they had the wrong picture. It didn't match what they thought it would be like. Oh, they had seen again Lazarus called forth from the dead. They had witnessed Jesus do a multitude of things. But this wasn't the way they thought he would enter. Let me read to you what was in their mind. Let me tell you what the picture they had. And they were willing to overlook because they felt so strongly This is no man. Here's the picture they had. Book of Revelation, it says this. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it calls faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That much more illustrates the picture they had. The Lord, the Messiah, who would come on a white horse, not a donkey. And he wouldn't have women and children laying down things before him, but rather he would have the army of God behind him. Because those, the Jewish people, believe strongly that this God would liberate them, this Messiah would take away the oppression, would lift the burden of the Rome that was upon them, that finally and at last he would avenge 
his people. He would avenge his people. He would come with a sharp sword and there would be blood, the blood of their enemies. And he would strike down the nations. That's the picture they had. All the oppression would be gone. All of it would be lifted. This triumphant king would come. And so you see how different that picture was than the picture that they had that day in Jerusalem? But the weight of the evidence was so strong. The weight of what they had witnessed overpowered that, and they were willing to overlook that in the time because they believed this was the Messiah who was coming. Why didn't Jesus come that way? Is that an improper picture? It's not improper. It's not an untrue picture of what will happen one day. That will happen. What I just read in Revelation will happen. But why not then? Why not for the people, for the Jewish people at that moment? Why, why not come that way? And the problem is the problem that all of us in the same room have, have as well. The problem for the Jewish people at that point, which we all inherit and have ourselves, is that they didn't realize that their greatest problem were not their enemies. The greatest problem were not the nations. Their greatest problem was their sin. Their greatest problem was their cosmic treason against God. Yes, God had chosen them to be his people, but not because they were more righteous than the nations around them. Scripture tells us that. Their greatest need was that God would do something about their sin and had to do something about their sin. And therefore, he came first gentle. He came first lowly. He came humbly and on a donkey. Let me read that text to you from Zechariah. Here's the text that later the disciples understood, the one that's quoted in those texts that we read. Here's what it says in the, by the prophet Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Why that way? Because this time he comes to bring salvation. He comes to bring the remedy for their greatest problem, which was not the nations around them. It was the problem that resided in them. goes on to say, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak judgment to the nations. No, that's not what it says but rather peace to the nations. They got that part wrong too. They got that part wrong too, that they were the only ones for whom he would come. But here in Zechariah, we have the prophecy of his coming. We have the prophecy that the disciples later began to comprehend after he was glorified, after he had gone to the cross and was risen from the dead. And what they didn't understand, that he was going to come twice. They missed the first coming. 
and had a picture of the second because they had an overestimation of their own self, which all of us do until God opens our eyes to really see our need of a Savior. He first comes and came to bring amnesty. Amnesty to the nations, but amnesty also to the Jewish people, the treasonous people. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the cross had to be part of the solution because it's in the cross, as we've talked in the book of Romans, that God could be both just and justifier of those who have faith in him. He could uphold his justice. He could come in righteousness the second time, and it would be righteousness. There'd be no lack of righteousness in the fact that he comes, and he comes to save a people and to bring judgment on those who didn't take his offer of, tree, of, of amnesty, but he would do it righteously. He wouldn't do it by covering sin. He wouldn't by, do it by pushing it under the carpet. He wouldn't by turning a blind eye to it, but he would deal with it for all who would have faith in him. He had to come the way he came in the beginning, not just for the Jews, but for all nations. For all nations he came, that's what Zechariah tells us. And right now, right now, in this moment, we live in a kind of 2,000-year window, and we don't know how long it will extend, but for now, a 2,000 or so window in all of eternity past and all of eternity future. A, a rare moment in time in which he offers, he offers a people who have committed cosmic treason against him, amnesty. That's what his coming into Jerusalem was portraying, amnesty. Amnesty to all who will look to me. In this time he extends, in this window, in this window which will one day close, he offers patience, great patience, and forgiveness and amnesty. And for now, he still rides on a donkey, but that won't be forever. He will one day do exactly what it says in Revelation. He will come on a white horse, and behind him will be the armies of God, and he will establish righteousness forever and ever and ever going forth. For now, he's ready to save He's ready to save all who will look to him as Savior and treasure and King. Today, the Scripture says, is the day of salvation. Today, my offer stands. But one day, there will come a close to that. So you see, what they saw was the second coming. That's how they pictured their Messiah to come, not realizing that if he came that way, if he came that way the first time, there was no hope for anybody, including them. The only way God could give them any hope, the only way, as the Scripture says, he could pass over sins for a time was because he was going to come the way he came, that Zechariah predicted. Come with patience and forgiveness and amnesty to any who would look to him. I'd like for you this morning to indulge me a bit. I'm going to, I'm going to reminisce a bit. As 
I walked through this morning. I'm incredibly grateful that in 1973, I saw this offer of amnesty and and received it from Christ. I was a senior in high school, hadn't grown up in the church, knew little about God, but God had been working in my heart, and, and he had been moving me toward himself, and I, I didn't see it that way then, but that's what he was doing. And in February of 1973, I responded to an invitation to look to him as Savior and King and offer of amnesty received then. And my life was radically turned around the direction of my life. It wasn't all better. There were still lots of rough edges and continue to be today, but there was a dramatic change that happened for me, a change of direction. And so that, that summer, um, I made the decision to go off to college. I didn't have much direction in my life at that time. I remember in the early part of that summer contemplating because of the change that happened even going into the military and and pursuing chaplaincy um, that way. But God, through his providence, connected me with an individual, a friend, who then invited me to go look at a college in Oklahoma. And it was a Christian college. They, They upheld the beliefs that I had come in to understand just a few months earlier. Went off to that school, and then the next decision was, what am I going to do? What am I going to study? I didn't really know. It just seemed like I wanted, to, I wanted to tell people about what had happened in my life, and it seemed the best way to do that would just to prepare in the ministerial track. And so that's where I headed down that road early on. People would talk to you, are you called to ministry? Well, I don't, my calling was a sense in which I don't know if I want to do anything else. And so continued to walk that journey. I was young in the faith, but I continued on in that. And uh, after I graduated, I spent two years as a youth pastor in Kansas and kind of got my feet on the ground, got more acquainted with the church, more acquainted with things like that, and decided after that that uh, I would consider going and taking my own congregation someplace and my lot fell in pleasant places as this became a possibility to come to Richland and pastor this church 40-some years ago. And nothing has given me more joy than seeing others and telling others that there's amnesty. There's amnesty. That, that you don't have to be alienated from God. That he offers it and beckon people to receive that and it has been it has been incredible to watch that and to be able to watch that over a span of 40 years as I look out into this congregation some of you who embrace that offer and uh, began to follow Christ it's been a joy to be co-belabors with you in this time to fulfill what became our existence statement that we would we would together, labor together to help people to see what I've just said, that there's an offer in amnesty in all the work of Christ, to see the glory of God in Christ and the amnesty that he offers, and then to begin to savor that Christ, begin to grow in that Christ, and, and 
all of that leading us to not be able to do anything else but to tell others about it, to declare it to others, and to walk with you in that particular journey. I'm grateful that my children, my children got to grow up here. I don't have kids. They're not perfect kids because I'm not, we weren't perfect parents. They're not perfect. But they don't resent the church. They do not resent the church. They love the church that they grew up in. Because of you, because of you people, you were genuine and loved them and loved us and they witness Christ in your life, and I'm so grateful for that. About four or five years ago, four or five years ago, I began to sense that this season of life, this 40-some years here at Richland, was going to come to an end at some point and needed to come to an end. I began to prepare for that season of life privately for a while, but as time went on, began to talk to others about it and, uh, and have discussions about it. That season that I'm in right now that just came a few years ago, I've only experienced two other times in my life. Let me, let me tell you about those, and then I'll talk back again about this season. Um, some of you have been here long enough that you'll know what I'm talking about when I talk about these two seasons. It was in 1984, I think, somewhere in that neighborhood, 83, 84, 85, early 85. I had come to Richland, and to be honest with you, when I came to Richland, I didn't have any comprehension of what it would be to stay in a church this long. In fact, didn't come thinking that would happen. Thought this would be a place to start. They were wonderful people I could learn and probably would be many places maybe by this time. And so um, we had completed the educational wing. We connected two buildings together. Some of you don't have any clue what, but that that happened, but we used to have a fellowship hall and a church and we connected them in the early 80s. And, and as we began to raise that structure... God just sent us families. We went on vacation for two weeks. Early on, he taught me that it's not me. We went on vacation for two weeks. I came back, and we'd had five or six new families show up. And I came back trying to figure out who all these people were, and God just began to send people. He opened up doors in communities around us um, in amazing ways. He sent several new families, and many of those people came to Christ in those days. Those were, those were exciting times as I watched their lives see the glory of God and be changed by it. And in that time, um, I was approached by a pastor that I had a deep respect for who pastored a church, actually had, had planted a church in the southern part of South Dakota, and that church had, had growth, and, and he was coming to the end of his time there, and he came to me, and because I had respect for him, he, he began to talk to me about taking that church and pastoring it and being willing. And uh, we visited some about it, and because of my... Um, respect for him, we ultimately agreed to candidate at that church and go and, and meet their leadership and see if this is what God had for us. Um, that was, it was not a fun time even, even doing that, but we just sensed we should do that much. And uh, uh, this is no exaggeration, but we came into the room with that particular group of leaders and uh, 
I remember we were kind of in a square with tables all around us, and my wife began to cry. And, and she didn't quit crying the whole interview, the whole time. And I'm trying to answer questions and trying to do the best I can. And a lady actually came up afterwards and said, she was convinced we should not go there because of my wife. Um, we ultimately um, removed our name from consideration. It just, uh, there were other events that happened uh, that just confirmed to us the going showed us that's not where God has us, and came back here. Um, we, didn't, we didn't resign here. We just candidated, just tested the water. And God began to continue to work in the midst of us and uh, do things that only he could do. And then again in 1988, um, this time was a little different. I was approached privately about a consideration of another place. It actually would have been leaving pastoral ministry. It would have been to go to... Um, denominational headquarters and serve as an assistant to a gentleman who was up for consideration for election. Our general conference was electing people, and he came to me before the election, and he said, you can't tell anybody that I'm making this offer to you because I don't know if I'm going to get elected. I don't want it to get out that I'm trying to hire staff, and I haven't even been elected. And so I, I really couldn't talk to very many people about it. I had to keep it pretty close to the vest early on, which was not a good thing. I would never consent to that ever again. Uh, but I did. I, I held it in. I talked to my wife, and we considered it, and it would have made a, meant a move to Indianapolis. And so what happened is I went to that general conference in Knoxville, Tennessee, if I remember. I think that's where it was. Um, and, and this is what happened that time. I had told him if he's elected, I would most likely come. I was at that particular convention um, convocation, and he was elected. And I remember getting up from my seat after he was elected, walking out of the auditorium where it was at, going over to where the bathrooms were, and then I was the one who broke. I'm, I'm not normally very emotional publicly. And I broke. I broke as I walked over, and I started to weep. I started to weep uncontrollably. It just, it just caught me by surprise. But I went through the next few days um, feeling like God was leading us away. In fact, to the point where I came home that Sunday um, and I got up before the congregation in 1988 and resigned. But <laughs> this time, it, my wife was probably crying too, but I was crying too hard to even see her cry. I wept. I wept from the moment I began, if you were here, as I tenured my resignation till the end. And it didn't get any better the next day or the next day. Um, and uh, I, I remember that the district superintendent came in to give some names to the, to the elders here, the leaders here about people to succeed me. I remember that night I was out here. I just had to do something. I, I, I just, I got out on a mower and I thought I'll just mow and I was mowing. And, uh, and I, I just thought, you know, I may not be able to stay here, but I don't have to go there if it's the wrong thing. And so then I said, if I feel like this in the morning, I'm going to call and I'm going to resign from that. And so I did. I resigned. I called the person that I told I would come and told him I just can't come. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I can't come there. It's not right to come there. Graciously, the leadership here tore up my resignation and uh, 
And for 30 years, for 30 plus years, I, I can say to you, I have not looked anywhere else. For 30 plus years, I've, I felt like that was God saying to me, this is where you're going to be. I didn't know how long that would be, but I became convinced that I would not go anywhere else. I would not go anywhere else. My wife, in that time, you know, she, I, I shared this about her. She cried in the first one. The second one, she thought I, literally, she said to me, I think you're losing your mind. That's, that's the intensity of how that was. So first time her, second time me. But God used those things to confirm that this was where we should be. And uh, it's been good. It's been a special blessing to, to uh, be here. And an added blessing is that for 20-some years, 25-plus years, I've had somebody come alongside of me. Pastor Jason has come and his family and co-labored together. I had never imagined that I would be here 42 years. I'd never imagined I would have somebody come and walk with me, beside me, for 25-plus years. That, I, say, I say to people often, it, it's unusual for somebody to stay someplace 42 years in this setting, in this locality, but it is, it is incomprehensible of somebody to come and assist somebody for 25-plus years in this locality. Early on, people would ask me, how many churches do you serve? And I would say, one. And then that would kind of take them back. And the, and the second thing that would just cause them to quit asking questions is when I told them there were two of us in one place. So all of those years have been wonderful. But that brings me back to the present. That brings me back to now. It brings me back to my divergence and what I'm doing this morning. About a month ago, after this four- and five-year period of, of beginning to sense a new season was coming, and we, I can't recant all of that, but a month ago, um, I, I made the decision to, to officially submit my resignation to the elders and did that at that meeting and let them know my intention to step down. My intention is to step down from lead pastor here at Richland as of June 30th of this year. Not, it's not the same as the first two times. It's different this time than the first two. Not because there aren't tears. Not because I don't feel emotion and my wife feels emotion. That's not the gauge. It's different this time than other times, partly because we've had time. We've had four or five years to think about this and talk about this and pray about this and discern what God's timing in it is and be able to take counsel in it, be able to work with the leadership of the church early on in that four or five year period. We began to talk about what it would look like. We didn't set any dates, but what it would look like as we go forward in some of those things. I've had time to reflect on God's faithfulness. One of the benefits of that is just to reflect on God's faithfulness, the marvelous ways, even some of those I've counted today, in which he has worked on behalf of this congregation time and time again. I, I can't count the number of times that God has just done things, just done things for us that, that uh, only he could do. I had some things that I felt like I needed to maybe button up before I actually stepped out. And one of those, one of those last things was felt like it was important. Um, when I started talking about this, that building at the other end of, 
of this property was, was a dream. Um, and then we began to raise money. And, and then we kind of put it on the back burner thinking, we just don't think this is going to happen. Um, we didn't see how it could happen. And then God marvelously providing again, providing a major gift from somebody who we'd have never imagined it would have come from. It wasn't, wasn't the bulk of the money, but it was enough to really start the momentum again. And then other things raised up John and others who could help us in ways that incredibly helped us. And, uh, and we were able to, to get it finished. I mean, I felt like that would, that would be helpful as we go forward, that I needed to finish what we kind of started there. And so that has happened. Um, a second thing that makes it different than other times, not just the time to think about it, pray about it, get counsel, plan for it, all of that. The second thing that makes it easier, not without, not without some tears, but the second thing that makes it easier is is the intention that in stepping down, it's not to go someplace else. Um, we envision that, um, that we can continue to be a part of this congregation. We, we certainly understand and know that we need to give some distance for a, a bit of time and, and all of that and be sensitive to all of that, but, but I, I have every intention, God willing, and and that we can continue to minister with you, continue to work alongside you, not in a leadership role. To be honest with you, I, that, is, that is something I'm looking forward to, to take, having that mantle taken off of me and not have to fulfill that role of leading and being out in front in that sense as lead pastor. There will be much relief in not having to do that. I, I go against how I'm wired and have for 42 years in that role. That is not natural to me to do that. And so that will be a good thing and uh, I think will help. I think I will, I think I will be a good follower and, and be okay in that role. And so not having to leave, looking forward to, to, to uh, following with you is, is an encouraging part of this and to continue to be among you. And then thirdly, this, this a deep confidence, a deep confidence in our leaders, in our elders. As I have sought their counsel, as we have talked about this multitudes of times, in fact, talked about it more times than probably any of us really wanted to talk about it. We've talked about it again and again and, and planned and prepared and talked again. And, and so it isn't, it isn't something anybody has rushed into. And, uh, and I'm... I'm confident in that preparation. And in just a moment, I'm going to introduce Dave Palmer, who is the vice chairman of our elder board. And Dave is going to come and bring the recommendation to you. In this month following my resignation, they have, they have put things in motion so that they're able to bring to you this morning um, a recommendation of where they feel like we should go from this point. Certainly, we live in a congregational system, and you will have to give affirmation to that recommendation, but I fully support the recommendation that they bring. I think it is a good recommendation. I think it's a well-thought-out plan, and I'm, I'm excited about them being able to bring it to you. So let me close this, and then I'm going to have Dave come this morning. Thank you. Thank you for 42 years 
of being among you. I thank God that this is where he put me. This is where he brought me on July 4th, 1979 with my family. We love you, and, uh, and we anticipate watching God's faithfulness continue, continue to work among us. He is a faithful God. He has been faithful in the past and, and will be faithful as we go forth from here. So Dave, why don't you come and uh, announce to them what the next steps are. thought every detail out except this microphone this morning. I come to you this morning, and as Pastor said, um, our, our elder board has, had knew this was coming a few weeks ago, and so we, we began to jump through some hoops that we, had, that we had to at that time, and we met with our district superintendent, and we accepted Pastor Ron's resignation at that time, and we also conducted an interview that day, and we interviewed Pastor Jason Dignan, and we actually brought a 25-year interview to a close with a, with a verbal interview that day, and uh, we voted to uh, strongly recommend Pastor Jason to you to be the next lead pastor at Richland. And the way, the way we will do that, and the hoops that we have to jump through one last hoop, is, is we will have to conduct a church-wide vote to affirm that uh, recommendation. And the earliest we can do that is two weeks after that recommendation is brought to you. So in two weeks from today, the, the week after Easter, we will be conducting a, a church-wide vote at the close of our service to, to affirm Pastor Jason as the next lead pastor at Richland. And in doing so... Um, we want, we want everyone to be involved in that, our, our members and our non-members as, as well. And so that day we'll give you a little instruction on, on how, that will, how that will take place, but we, will, we want everyone to participate in, in that vote um, on that day, which will be in two weeks. So the main, the main thing I have to say to you, and with joy, is that we, we have a candidate already, and uh, we will vote to affirm that recommendation in two weeks. I should say our, our elder board consists of, of six of us, Alan Stewart, Brian Sharp, Wes Palmer, Mark Hoven, Joel Stewart, and myself. And so don't be afraid to ask any of us questions on, on things that, that, uh, that maybe we don't handle this morning or, or just how, how that will look in the next couple of weeks or, or things like that. Don't be afraid to, to uh, ask us questions. We won't, we won't entertain questions here this morning live, but we will do that on the side if you have any any questions so it's my pleasure to to make that recommendation and we are we are truly blessed here at Richland just as pastor said God has worked on our behalf in ways that we can't comprehend or imagine and uh, he's doing that again for us right now so most of us have no clue what it's like to walk through a, a pastoral change I was a seventh grader going into eighth grade when pastor came, and uh, I experienced four church votes from the time I was born until eighth grade, and we've gone a couple of generations without even having to make a vote or anything like that, so we're truly blessed. So with that, I'll, I'll close and turn it back to pastor. 
I, I think it's good for us to end this morning by singing together and a song that I think is appropriate points us back to God and his faithfulness. A song that the Gettys have written that just says by faith and that's how we're to walk and we'll just trust God to lead as we go forth. Let's stand together and sing. God's peace.